This is the Indie Drills Podcast, and I'm your host, Chad Wilson. I'm also the owner of All Eyes DB Camp and author of 101 DB Tips. In this podcast, we're going to be talking about any and everything having to do with defensive back play. From technique to current events, we'll cover it all just like the guys in the back half blanket the wide receivers. I have over 20 years playing and coaching and training in this game, and I'm ready to use all of that experience to bring you the best experience in the Indie Drills podcast. So let's go. Listeners, if you haven't had a chance to do it yet, pick up your copy of the 101 DB Tips ebook. It's the ultimate reference guide for defensive back play. If you're a player, a coach, or a trainer of defensive backs, then this is something you absolutely have to have in your library. I discuss everything in this book from playing man-to-man coverage, to zone coverage, to how to train, to how to improve your footwork, your eye discipline, and body control. Literally everything pertaining to defensive back is covered in this book. Over 20 years of playing, coaching, and training defensive backs has gone into the making of this ebook, and I'm proud to say that it has helped players and coaches from the little leagues all the way to the college level. Make a point to check this book out now. If you're serious about being the best at what you do, make that purchase. You can find the book by going to 101dbtips.com. That's 101dbtips.com. Episode 9 of the Indie Drills Podcast. Man, that happened quick. Seemed like just yesterday. Launched this thing, episode 1. But here we are. It's a DB podcast. Can you believe it? They have stuff like that out there. There There's actually a podcast out there that is not talking about offense. And it's this one. Talking about what's not only defense, but what's going on in the back end. So welcome to all of you joining me for the first time or those of you that have come before, or those of you that are on episode 9 and you've listened to all of these things, appreciate you joining me here on the show. If you uh, have the opportunity or haven't had the opportunity to do that yet, go ahead and hit the subscribe button on whatever listening device you are using to stream this right now. Uh, not doing this on YouTube, at least not yet, so this is the only place you can find me for the Indie Drills podcast, and that's right here, so make sure you lock me in because... Uh, Doing one of these each and every week, or let's say most weeks, Um, never know what comes my way. I do quite a bit of traveling during the fall, so uh, there may be a a time here or there where I'm not able to do a show, but I'm here right now, coming up on the show today, we're going to talk about America's cornerback, and that is Coach Prime, and what he and his Colorado Buffaloes team was able to accomplish last week, what they faced this week. We're talking about slot fade madness. It's, I knew it was coming, but uh, slot fade is all the rage. We're going to talk about that a little bit on this podcast today. Year two coming up for two uh, great rookie sensation cornerbacks in the NFL as we kick off the NFL season tonight. Perhaps by the time you hear this, that has already occurred. But Sauce Gardner and Tyreek Woolen. Two guys that were really, really good as rookie cornerbacks in the NFL going into year two. What are we we to look for from those two guys? And who do we think will have the better season? We could talk a little bit about last season. Also going to talk about three-man rush, DBs, defensive coordinators. How do we feel about that? Also, got to give away 
a copy of DB Tips, 101 DB Tips, I do have a winner. There is a winner from last week's giveaway. I'm going to give away another one this week. So happy you joined in. So stay tuned for that coming up uh, on the show. Uh, Obviously, I have the listener question. Uh, Pre-snap checklist is the topic on that one. And then finally, the main topic of of the show today is five ways you can win your game by what you do in practice. Believe it or not, if you're new to this game out here, coaches, you feel me on this. Uh, you win that game on Friday night, Saturday, Sunday, whenever you're playing, you win that game during the week. So we're going to talk about winning practice habits for defensive backs so that you can play the way that you want to play on game day. So all that coming up on the show. So let's talk about America's defensive back, which is Deion Sanders, who is now affectionately referred to as Coach Prime. Here's a guy, born Deion Sanders, that conjured up his own nickname. Well, you know, there's stories behind it. You know, some homies from his hometown back in Fort Myers gave him the name, you know, Primetime Deion Sanders, or I believe Neon Deion was the name given, and he turned that into Primetime, whatever the case may be. Got that nickname, Made it travel all throughout, blew that name up, and uh, now he's blown up the name Coach Prime. And everywhere you turn right now on social media, TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, it is Coach Prime and Colorado Buffalo Mania. And that is just a testament, A, to what they were able to accomplish on the field. We cannot take that away from them. What an amazing accomplishment. A 1-11 football team last year that rolled out. 50-something-plus transfers, and they were able to play together well enough to go into hostile territory, TCU, a team that played in the college football championship last year, and actually win the game as 20-and-a-half-point underdogs. Can't take that away from them. But the marketing that has been done, and we know Dion is no stranger to marketing, and uh, he's even better in this social media era, which he was, this did not exist when he played, but... um, you know, sometimes they say you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Man, Dion's winning this social media thing, uh, of course, with the help of his son. But he is everywhere. And I know y'all feel me on this. If you spend any amount of time at all on social media, you have seen consistently and over and over something on Coach Prime, Dion Sanders, Travis Hunter, Shadur Sanders, and the Colorado Buffaloes. So kudos to them. He's going to kill it in recruiting I can guarantee you that. All right, let's talk about how that game went down. Well, you know, we know Dion played defense. We know he played on that side of the ball. Um, But there wasn't a ton of defense played in that game on Saturday. Offensively speaking, for Colorado, they went up and down the field, seemingly, from the first series. If you had any doubts about Colorado going into this game, you had to put all that away on that first offensive series as Shadur Sanders and the boys moved straight down the field. Why were they able to do this? Well, that's a well-organized, fast-break, precision offense with a really good trigger man in Shadur Sanders that some people were surprised about. I guess they'd never really watched Jackson State football, um, and that's you know just the way that it is. Jackson State football was not a big deal 
prior to Dion going there. And then, you know, it's people have their feelings about HBCU football. I'm not going to get into that here. However, great trigger man seemingly made the right decision on 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 damn near all 47 pass attempts that he had in the game. Now, TCU did make things a little easy for uh, for Shadur Sanders and the boys. A lot of loose coverage, especially, and, uh, you know, some of you coaches out there, maybe players that, you know, enjoy the strategic part of the game that watched it. It drove me nuts just how often when Colorado was in trips that the TCU defenders played so far off of that number three wide receiver. Now I'm all for playing games with that number three guy. Maybe you play off and you buzz, you you zone drop a lineman or a linebacker is, you know, faking a rush. Maybe he's all the way in the A-gap, pretending that he's coming, he's going to bring some pressure through the A-gap, and then he buzzes out to that hook area. There was none of that. Quite often, TCU lined up 10 to 12 yards off of the number three guy, and it remained that way post-snap. They did almost the same thing in when they were in two-by-two sets. They lined up way off of the slot, and it just made it real easy for Shadur Sanders to throw the bubble fades. I mean, not the bubble fades, the, uh, the bubble screens. The quick throws to those slot guys, those are the easiest throws to make. Whole lot of screens. Screens even out to the number one receiver. Tunnel screens to the number one receiver in trips. All because of how TCU was lining up, and they didn't make a ton of adjustments there. If you're a lover of defensive football or you're a TCU Horn Frogs fan, you have to be disappointed at the lack of adjustments that were made defensively in that game. And it just allowed Sanders to rack up 510 yards passing um, and allowed the ball to get easily into the hands of the playmakers for Colorado, of which they have quite a few. The world, the college football world, got introduced to the playmakers that are now a part of the Colorado Buffaloes program, courtesy of the transfer portal, where Dion was shopping heavily this offseason to remake a roster that was extremely poor coming in. And Dion caught quite a bit of heat for ushering a whole lot of what was in Colorado there last year out the door and bringing in the new. I'm not sure what you guys expected him to do. Don't expect Dion to do what you expect him uh, to do. I thought he was right in doing that. This is the college football world that exists now. The transfer portal is there and whether you feel good about it or not, you agree with it or not, Dabo Sweeney, you got to make use of it. And Dion used this very important tool in a way no one else ever has. Um, and Dion is a guy to do things that no one else ever has. He's, that's just been his whole life and career in the game of football. And uh, it paid big, dividend, uh, paid big dividends on, uh, on Saturday against TCU. 510 yards passing, um, and they moved up and down the field. What are they up against this week? Well, you know, before I even get to that, I will say, now flip it over to the other side, and Dion admitted it much. They didn't play all that great defensively either. I mean, we had a 45-42 to 42 football game. And this is the new era of college football where you just crank out 70 to 80 plays a game. It's There are a lot of plays being thrown at a 
at a defense. It's fast pace. So, you know, gone are the days where you could hold people to 150 and 200 yards total. You have to have a seriously inferior opponent in college football to hold them to those numbers. With that said, Colorado gave up 279 yards passing, which is not earth-shattering in this day and age of the game. It's almost average. If You're doing something if you hold someone to under 300 yards passing in today's game, especially in a, against a Big 12 competitor. What is troubling, though, is the 262 rushing yards that they gave up. They definitely have to tighten that up. With Nebraska coming to town, Nebraska is definitely going to be looking to play a physical brand of football similar to what you saw them do last week against Minnesota. Now, Nebraska was offensively challenged, but I think they're looking at the film and watching what Colorado can do offensively, and the game plan has to be to slow things down a little bit. Let's get physical. Let's try to hold on to the ball a little bit. And if Colorado is not doesn't tighten up what they were doing defensively against TCU's rush, well, we're going to have a really serious ball game. And things can come crashing down in game two for Colorado. So that's going to be the big adjustment for me to watch is what Colorado does defensively to try and slow down what will be um, a running game that will, you know, a rush defense that will be tested quite often in this game. That just has to be the move for Nebraska. I can't see any other game plan. There's no way in hell that Nebraska wants to or thinks that they can get into a shootout with Shadur Sanders in the Colorado Buffaloes offense and come out a winner in that game. So 100%, they're going to have to get physical up front, rush the football, see if they can hold on to the ball, get points, and limit the amount of opportunities and plays for Colorado's offense. I also don't know how much they want to venture into the secondary against one Travis Hunter who had a game for the ages last week. I mean, outstanding. I don't think I've, in my time, have ever seen a game like that for a single player. Now, Charles Woodson, Juana Heisman for playing offense and defense, he didn't have a game like that in his Heisman year. He might have had a reverse here or there, scored a touchdown, caught a couple passes, but he didn't play every snap like this kid did. And I don't mean he was just out there. Travis Hunter caught 11 balls, 12 balls on the offensive side. I mean, he kept catching that dig route over and over when they needed it. On top of that, two deep balls missed. I mean, for God's sakes, if he would have caught the two deep balls, he would have had over 200 yards receiving. That would go with the two, three pass breakups that he had and an incredible interception in the low red zone, reading the rail uh, the rail route coming out of the backfield by the running back and just totally crushing TCU and the fans that were on his neck in that end zone. An amazing interception there. So what a game. And I don't think Nebraska really wants to mess with that a whole bunch. So look for Nebraska to try and get physical and run up front. We'll see if Colorado has plugged those holes. Sliding on to the next topic here, and, uh, you know, this was a part of the game too, and I'm seeing it with great frequency now uh, in college football as well as in the NFL. I was not surprised. A lot of what I did in training with uh, guys this offseason was, you know, being prepared for the slot fade because it's just the thing to do, and why not? Why not run a slot fade if you're – on offense, especially when you have one safety in the middle of the field. 
That is a tremendous amount of space, both to the inside and the outside, for a wide receiver to work with when uh, you're in a trips formation or a two-by-two formation and there's one safety in the middle of the field. It's a tremendous amount of space. It's an easier throw for a quarterback to just try and dump it into that area from the numbers out to the sidelines against basically a single defender because, you know, a lot of times that free safety is just not going to make it over there. He has to get a tremendous read to get over there. So slot fade is the madness. Here's the wrinkle that Colorado threw out there that I can assure you is going to get duplicated, syndicated, and any other aided out there. People are going to start doing this. When the coverage was loose on the slot, whether through, you know, really super soft press or just playing off, and Colorado had the slot fade call on, they would run that slot fade route and then break it off into a comeback. So there's two great routes when you have a bunch of space on the outside as a wide receiver. There is the fade because of, again, the space that you have from the bottom of the numbers to the sidelines to fit a ball in as the quarterback. And the comeback for that same reason all the space you have once you plant and you start coming back downhill, the more space you have to the outside, the easier to throw, the better chance you have for the completion and the more difficult it is for the defensive back because it's a longer way to run to get to that wide receiver before that ball gets there. And so that nice little wrinkle by Colorado in a game in which everyone saw, including thousands of coaches, noticed what they were doing on that slot fade, it almost becomes a slot fade option. So lose coverage in the slot, break it down, run it back downhill on a comeback, easy completion as the number one receiver runs some kind of a short in route to kind of clear out of the way. Now, normally on these slot fades, you'll get a hitch outside, which leaves that wide receiver, the outside wide receiver in the flat, making it very difficult now to go run a comeback because there's a chance that the corner that's out over number one may kind of straggle back in there and get up underneath that comeback and pick it off. So Colorado has taken that away by having that number one receiver, the furthest wide receiver outside, not sit in that flat on the hitch. They're running in routes, bringing it inside and totally clearing everything out in that area, which now allows either the slot fade or the comeback route to be run. Your coach out here, your player out here listening to this podcast right now, that is going to be duplicated. You're going to see that. So start making preparations right now for how you're going to handle that. Start talking about what kind of technique you're going to have your your cornerback over number two use. Start talking about different ways you may want to disguise your coverage there. Even when you are Aligned in one high pre-snap. Start thinking about some things you want to do there. And the uh, multiple ways that you might want to defend that because it's going to become a staple until someone defensively figures out a way to stop that. Without sacrificing their run defense 
which is, I'm sure, the reason why you're in one high to begin with. You're trying to get more guys around the line of scrimmage to stop the run, and these teams now have taken advantage with the slot fade, and now we've got the slot fade option that could turn into a comeback. So coaches lather up, get ready for that. Uh, you know, I'm in the lab coming up with some things as to, you know, how you can defend that. So I may discuss that on uh, my Twitter account or at alleyesdbcamp.com, which is a place that all of you should have bookmarked and be visiting regularly. But uh, I'm looking forward to cooking up some good stuff for you coaches out there that may be stuck as uh, those slot fades and the slot fade options with the comeback start raining down your way. All right, sliding on over to um, a couple of guys that were rookies last year in the NFL at cornerback. Two great rookies. Big-time debate went on uh, in the postseason, in the offseason, let me say. Spearheaded, of course, by one Asante Samuel Sr., who's no, he's not one to shy away from controversy. And so he did spark up that debate between Sauce Gardner and Tariq Woolen. Why was Sauce Gardner... Uh, the one to become All-Pro. Why was he the defensive uh, rookie of the year when seemingly Tariq Woolen had the better season? And so these two uh, are going to be attached at the hip, marked in debate, even though neither one of those players um, have wanted to engage in that. Tariq Woolen, first of all, is not really a talker. We know that Sauce Gardner is, but when it came to this, Sauce Gardner uh, was not gung-ho about wanting to be compared to Tyreek Woolen or, you know, trying to be told he was better than this guy, that guy. At least on that part of it, Sauce Gardner has his head on straight. Why can't both guys be great? But this is a podcast, man, so I don't, you know, that's for him to talk about. That's not what we do here. I, frankly, and I think I may have said this in my first podcast, my first episode or second episode where I first discussed this, I felt personally Tariq Woolen had the better season. And the numbers would say the same. Both guys played 17 games. Woolen had six interceptions. There's something to be said for turnovers, guys. I know in the post-Darrell Rivas era, somehow a lot of players, fans, and maybe even some coaches have put more of a premium on pass breakups and just not allowing catches. I'm not in that group. Yes, I love those things, obviously, as a guy who played defensive back, coached defensive backs, trains defensive backs, and was a defensive coordinator. Yes, course, pass breakups and not allowing a receiver to catch the football are important things. But I still highly value taking the ball away. In the true essence of this game, you know, if you're trying to win, just football is math. Turnovers mean more possessions for your team. More possessions, more opportunities to score, more score, more points, more points, more victories. So I value those turnovers. And Tyreek Woolen, six interceptions to Sauce Gardner's two. He also scored on one of those interceptions. So he actually put the ball in the end zone, Tyreek Woolen I'm talking about, on one of those interceptions. So it wasn't even... We're giving it to the offense for the Jets, which was anemic last year, if I could use that word. He went ahead and scored himself on a play. Not only that, Tyreek Woolen recovered three fumbles last year to zero for Sauce Gardner. Now, the big number for Sauce Gardner was the 
pass breakups, for which he had 20. That's a, a great number, especially for a rookie. 20 pass breakups is great. I mean, if you are in double-digit pass breakups uh, as an NFL corner these days, the way the game is called, the way uh, offensive plays are laid out there, and just, the, the, just what the game is today, you're doing well. Well, this young man had 20. You know what? Tyreek Willen had 16. Not that far off. To go with the six interceptions and the three fumble recoveries. So, um, if you want to run on to some other numbers in terms of who allowed more yards as we start to get into the advanced stats, Sauce Gardner allowed 452 yards to Tyreek Willen's 419. Woolen beat him in completion percentage against him. And I'm not, I'm going to go ahead and say this. I'm not real huge on these stats right here because I have personally seen them be bogus. You have to really know a team's offense, I mean defense, and you've got to know the calls that were made to accurately assign this. And I happen to know um, that this gets screwed up quite a bit. But on this metric that people like to use, we're in the PFF era where fans and you know other folks um, think that that's something they should pay attention to. I'm not, again, one of those, but it is what it is. Um, 51% completion allowed for Woolen versus 53 for Sauce Gardner. Quarterback rating against Sauce Gardner. Quarterbacks, 62% QB rating against Sauce Gardner when targeting him. 48%. When targeting Tyreek Woolen. So really by every metric, with the exception of past breakups, Tyreek Woolen had a better season. But uh, Sauce Gardner has the name Sauce, and he plays for the New York Jets. And so I'm a little bit with Asante Samuel on that. Who's going to fare better in year two? That's anyone's guess. Both of these guys, I don't think they're flukes. You're talking about two long corners here that can run. We obviously know Tyreek Woolen has ridiculous speed. Uh, We saw what he did at the Combine, and then that showed on the field. He wasn't just a guy that ran fast in shorts on turf with no helmet on. There were numerous times in games last year where we saw this guy turn on the Jets and appear on the screen looking like he was on four legs. But both of these guys could run. Both of these guys are long, tall corners. Um, Woolen 6'4", running like that. So these guys have the skill set. And um, I think they're both going to have great seasons. I would, I would, I would venture to say they're probably both going to have similar stats again this year, and also have a good season. Um, a because of who they are. B because they play on good defenses. The Jets were a really good defense last year. The the Seahawks, if they've done anything consistently under Pete Carroll, is play good defense. So they're, they're going to have the benefit of that. Plus, uh, I love Seattle offensively under Geno Smith. So, you know, him playing there and how they're going to play offensively is not going to put any undue pressure on Seattle's defense where they face more plays and they're just, you know, not able to operate how they've been. So they'll be what they've been or maybe even better with another year under the belt for, you know, their their offense on the Geno Smith. So I don't see any. I don't see him falling off there. Same thing for Sauce Gardner. Now Aaron Rodgers is in town. Um, if anything, Sauce's numbers may may bump up if teams aren't afraid to go at him, and uh, they're going to be better offensively. Uh, 
just please understand that. Aaron Rodgers is better than Zach Wilson. I don't think I just said anything earth-shattering there. So they'll be better offensively. Sauce will face um, less plays. And he'll probably face more snaps this year with his team having a lead, meaning they're going to be more balls put in the air and potential interceptions and opportunities for him than he had a year ago. So it's going to be very interesting. Uh, I think Sauce's numbers are going to improve, especially on the interception front. So, man, if I had to go to a betting window, I'd say, you know, because of the overall improvements the Jets have made, Sauce Gardner may have the better year than Tariq Woolett. But that remains to be seen. I'm with both of these guys, though. Both of these guys are going to be really, really good cornerbacks this year and into the remaining future. All right, still coming up, I've got a book winner in the book giveaway, 101 DB Tips. Announced that last week. Going to announce a winner for the first giveaway um, coming up in a few minutes and also give away another book here. So stay tuned for that. Uh, Another thing I want to touch on is the three-man rush. And yes, we're talking about rushing the quarterback, so you know that's not directly DB stuff, but it is DB related because there's nothing better for defensive backs than a great pass rush. So what I've seen a lot uh, in college football is a lot of three-man rushes. As teams struggle to try and defend these wide-open passing attacks and the hurry-up offenses, you know, we're seeing more and more three-man rushes. Now, this was a staple almost in the Big 12, but I'm seeing it in more and more places. And there was a almost hilarious clip in the Oregon State-San Jose State game where San Jose State deployed a three-man rush against Oregon State and DJ Ugalili, the, the former Clemson quarterback that struggled there, that, you know, had quite the day. Uh, in his new rags for Oregon State. And he there was a play where he literally stood back there for forever. I mean, the guy could have popped open a, a bag of Pringles and ate back there. And he kudos to him for recognizing that there was only going to be a rush from three guys and that he'd be looking at more you know, faces and more pairs of eyeballs looking at him in the secondary. And he held on to the ball until he could get a guy you know, wide open in a voided zone, which aren't many when you drop eight, but he held on long enough for someone to, you know, miss an assignment or not get a deep enough drop and laid a ball in there for a touchdown. It was kind of a hilarious thing to look at. So just want to talk really quick about three-man rushes. I was a guy who would use three-man rushes when uh, I was a defensive coordinator. I don't have anything against them. And you're talking about a guy who came, who played at the University of Miami in the heyday of four defensive linemen pass rush getting after the quarterback. I mean, I mean there's a guy that played with Warren Sapp for crying out loud. So we, I came from that system. However, I will say this: offenses in the days that I was playing is not what it is now. Definitely not. You didn't get a whole bunch of empty sets. You didn't get the passing attacks. Um, though they were beginning to get really wide open, thanks to Florida State and some others, they weren't. They aren't. They weren't then what they are now. And of course, they you know the hurry up offenses, as well as rule changes, have allowed them to be super wide open. So I'm seeing coaches trying to combat that with more three man rushes, and you can do this. 
And if you're one of those coaches that's thinking about doing it or doing it and not having any success, I will say this to you. Here's how I used them. Very few times would I just rush three guys straight ahead. I mean, for you know, crying out loud, that's going to be at least five on three and potentially a sixth if a running back stays in for some reason. And that's going to be maddening for your coverage in the back, for your secondary members and your linebackers. God forbid if you have three or four of them on the field because, you know, covering is not their main thing. And for them having to cover for four, five, six seconds, that could be a very difficult task. So it was not often that I rushed three guys just straight ahead. Many times when I was going to rush three guys only, it would come with some kind of game or twist, something. You got to do something to mess with the offensive line up front. Come up with some games, get creative with it. Um, You can employ the linebackers with some perceived pressure meaning they're up in the gaps. Perhaps you change your protection and give your offensive linemen some kind of a one-on-one advantage or maybe even a missed assignment and they can get a free run in there. You've got to do those things. You cannot just play after play, line up, where it's evident there's only going to be three men rushing, allow the offensive linemen to line up their protections and think that anything is going to happen there. Even if you've got a, like a major pass rusher, or maybe even two, five on three, those guys more times than not up front are going to be able to handle that. They'll slide where they need to slide. They'll double team where they need to double team. And if you've got a quarterback with any amount of experience, meaning he's not an 18-year-old freshman, he's going to spot that and he's going to take his time there and eventually through their routes they will defeat what you've got dropped back there. And the ways now to get what you want out of that three-man rush is to, again, give some kind of pre-snap perceived pressure where you may come or may not come, run some games up front, some twists, some some loop-arounds, all kinds of things there. Don't just rush straight ahead. Here's another thing that I did. I would bring pressure from strange places. When you're rushing three, that means you've got eight guys that are in two-point stances one way or another. So that means there's guys scattered all throughout that second level of the defense. And that means, you know, a lot of guys are available to rush. So maybe you bring a corner off the edge. Once you think a quarterback is getting a little comfortable back there with the three-man rush, you bring a corner. Or you walk a safety down and you bring him. And you bring him through an A-gap. You do some strange things. You, you got to get creative. You can't just march three guys straight ahead because those guys rushing are going to get frustrated. I'm going to tell you, defensive linemen don't like that. They don't like the three-man rush straight ahead. As badass as they may think that they are, they don't love it. And your guys in the secondary are going to ask, you know, holy crap, where is the pass rush what are we doing? Why are we in coverage so long? They're going to get frustrated. So you're going to have a whole frustrated unit. So you've got to bring strange pressure. And by that, I mean use linebackers from strange places, bring them from strange places, start on one side, rush from all the way on the other side, bring a, bring a nickel back off the slot, 
bring a corner off the edge, bring a safety down from crazy places, and you get in there free a couple of times and you hit that quarterback, now when you decide to just rush three, he's going to have a little bit of happy feet back there. He's going to be a little bit paranoid. He's going to speed up through his reads a little bit. He won't stand back there and eat a whole hoagie waiting for guys to get open. You've got to get into his head. So if you're a defensive coordinator out there um, trying to use a three-man rush, I'm already telling you, if you're just rushing three guys straight ahead and you're not having success, that's your thing, I already guarantee you there's guys on your coaching staff that are not with it, and it won't be long before they start stabbing you in the back a little bit. They start talking to the head man. They start saying things to players um, behind your back. I know how all this goes. They start planting bugs in the air and start saying stuff like, well, I don't have any control over, or I wouldn't do that, or I don't know why he's doing that. I'm here to tell you, once that starts amongst your defensive coaching staff, you're sunk. So if you're an assistant coach, man, avoid doing that. That doesn't help you. Stabbing that defensive coordinator in the back, thinking you're going to just rise into the job and everything's going to be fine, nah, that's not going to work for you. But to my DCs out there, get creative if you're going to go three-man pass rush. Don't just run straight ahead. All right? Feel free, guys, if you've got a comment on that or anything else that I've talked about here in the opening. Uh, but I would like to hear some of you guys' comments and uh, thoughts, especially my uh, coordinators and coaches out there. Um, what's your feeling about the three-man rush? Do you use it? Um, and are you successful with it? And what are your feelings on what I just said there? All right, time to uh, give away a book. I'm kind of excited about this. My first giveaway on the Indie Drills podcast. Just to recap here, last week, gave out a word, which I will be doing again on this week's podcast. So stay tuned for that. Gave out a word and, um, you know, anyone listening that was interested in winning the book, needed to text me with that word in the subject line. And we're going to randomly pick someone, which we did. Now, little disclaimer, with this giveaway and the one that I'm doing this week, it is a 101 DB Tips book. However, it does have a misprint in it. A small one, but a misprint nonetheless. Tips 2 and 3 in the book are duplicated. So it's the same tip for 2 and 3 in the book. So you're actually getting a hundred DB tips, not 101. Everything else is the same. Still a knock it out of the park. All of the reviews on this, it, couldn't, it could not have gone better. All of the reviews on 101 DB tips has been great. And this is coming from coaches, players, uh, people overseas, people here at home. Love the book. So you're getting a great book. You're just getting a hundred DB tips uh, as opposed to 101. So, without further ado, the winner of the book giveaway from last week is Nate Bayer. I hope I'm saying that right. B-A-I-E-R from Durango, Durango, Colorado. Man, listen, it's been a great week for the state of Colorado, has it not? Coach Prime goes into uh, Texas, wins at TCU, and now Nate Bayer wins the 101 DB Tips book giveaway, the first giveaway I've ever done on the Indie Drills podcast. So uh, 
Nate out of Durango, Colorado. It's yours. Here's what you need to do, Nate. Go ahead and send me an email saying I'm the contest winner and I'll get that book out to you right away. And we're going to do another one of these, but that's coming up right after this. All right, and we're back. And uh, just named the winner of the giveaway. And now want to give you guys the word for the giveaway for next week. And here's how this is going to work. Give you guys the word. You get the word and you send me an email. There's a couple of things you need to do here to be eligible to win the book. And only giving away one book. And again, it is a misprinted book. Tips two and three are the same. So you're going to get 100 DB tips, not 101. Still great book. But here's what you need to do. First, you're going to need to subscribe, follow the show on whatever platform you're using to stream this right now, whether it's Spotify, Apple Podcast, Amazon, whatever you're using to stream this. Two, follow me on Twitter. And that's dbtips101 on Twitter. dbtips101 on Twitter. And then you have to send me an email with that magic word in the subject line. Send the magic word in the subject line and that will make you eligible and enter you. That's your entry into the book giveaway. The announcement on who the winner is will be in the next podcast next week, which is going to air next Thursday. All right. And so today's, this week's magic word is sauce. How about that? Sauce. For Sauce Gardner, all right? Just thought I'd throw that out there. Great cornerback. Um, and his name seemed to be on the tip of everyone's tongue last year, all offseason. So Sauce is the word. So send me an email to cwilson at alleyesdbcamp.com. cwilson at alleyesdbcamp.com with the word Sauce in the subject line. That is after you have subscribed to the show on uh, your podcast streaming device app, and you followed me on Twitter, dbtips101. So send that to me now. Magic word is sauce. All right, let's take a question here. Got this question this week via email, and uh, I really do appreciate when you guys reach out to me with these questions. Uh, I do pick one that I will uh, talk, you know, use on the show. But uh, outside of that, I will take the time and answer these questions. And if for some reason I haven't answered your question in 24, 48 hours, it might mean that I missed it. So just send it to me again. Trust me, I won't be angry about it. Matter of fact, I'll probably put myself through some up-downs if I missed it the first time. Got to be disciplined in life. But anyway, got this from Joe Morgan. He's a coach at the middle school level, and he likes to have a pre-snap checklist mantra for his DB, so things for them to go through before they line up. And that's a, that's a good thing. And they're doing this at the middle school level, so I, you know I like to see that. I like to see that mindfulness from a coach. You're not just taking for granted that you're coaching middle school football. You're trying to give these guys a really, really good start. Uh, as defensive backs before they move into you know high school where things get a little more serious and potentially into college football where things 
really get serious and become a business. And it really matters your start. So, you know, good job, I will say there, uh, by Joe, um, giving these guys some clues and tips. So to that, here's my answer to that question. While that is good, I want to make sure, Joe, and any other coaches or players listening to me uh, on this podcast, that you don't get make yourself robotic. If you come to that line of scrimmage or you line up for that play and you have too much going on in your head, if the checklist is too long, if you have too many thoughts going through your head, you're going to play slow. And it won't matter how fast you run a 40 or what you run in track. If you've got too much in your head when you line up, whether it's press or it's off or it's zone, you are going to play slow. It's just too much to sort through. And that's really, it's just like having a too much on your computer. When your phone gets full, when your computer's hard drive gets full, it moves slow, does it not? Because it has to sift through too much information to get and execute the commands that you are giving it. That is the same thing with your brain when you're playing defensive back out there. Things move so fast. Receivers come off the ball so fast. Quarterbacks make their read so fast. Things pop off so fast that you can't afford to have 100 things in your head pre-snap. So let me just say that first. What I have found in my years of coaching and training and playing is that you can have two at the most three things on your checklist pre-snap before it starts to become too much. You start getting past three, there's too much thinking going on. So much of what we do back here as defensive backs is instinctive. And it's one of the reasons why I tell guys when we're training in the offseason that you have to nail down your footwork. You've got to do these drills right each and every time. You've got to strive for perfection. You've got to do them repetitively because you need to automate these processes. You cannot be thinking about your footwork when you're in a game. You cannot be thinking about turning in a game. You can't be thinking about your upper body positioning in a game. What your hands are doing, um, all these things. You're trying to automate as much of that stuff as possible because it's going to be one less thing for you to think about when you line up and play because you need to play fast. So you can't have 100 things in your head. So there's three potential situations that your defensive backs are going to face in a game, especially if it's in middle school. One is they're pressing and playing some kind of man coverage. The three things I would say they would need to have on their checklist is, A, what's my leverage? Am I to be aligned inside or outside? Or head up if you choose to do that. But most guys, you're either inside or outside, depending on the coverage. The second thing on that checklist is, what is my depth? And this is a big thing. Because a lot of guys just go up there and line up. Sometimes they're lined up too close. Sometimes they're lined up too far. And that makes you inconsistent. Line up too close and you could get beat on that first step off the line of scrimmage by the wide receiver. Line up too far. Now there's too much space for the receiver to work with. He can come off really fast, get you on your heels, step on your toes, and really run anything he wants on the route tree. That's a problem. You've got to find out what is your optimal depth based on how you see things the technique that you're playing, and the kind of reach that you have. So you've got to line up at the proper depth every time. And then the third thing is your eyes. Your eyes need to be on that near hip. They need to be down and uh, ready to go. So leverage, depth, eyes. If you guys come to the line of scrimmage and they can, you know, have that in their head, go through that checklist real quick as they line up and press, they, they'll be fine. 
The other situation is if they're playing off man. The first thing is, what's that receiver split? If you've got them watching film, and I hope that you do, they can get some clues off of what may be coming their way based on that wide receiver split. So let's take note of the split and what kind of routes I could potentially be getting here. What routes can I kind of eliminate off the route tree and play with a little bit of anticipation? So receiver splits is number one. The second thing is their leverage. Where are they supposed to be playing if they're playing man? Should I be inside? Should I be outside? That's it. And then the third thing is their focus on the near hip. So if I'm outside leverage, I'm focusing on that outside hip of the wide receiver. If I'm inside leverage, I'm focusing my eyes on the inside hip of that wide receiver. Now, if you're doing something with them reading three-step, that's something totally different. I don't want to get into that here. We are talking about middle school guys. If you want information on that, you guys can um, email me asking me, and I, I may bring it up in a later show. Or I may answer you right there in email. And then the final situation they're going to find themselves in is playing zone. And the three things on that checklist is their proper alignment. How far off are they supposed to be? Seven yards, five yards. What's the situation based on the coverage called? The second thing is reading their key. What do you have them reading? They should have their eye on their key. If, is their key the number two guy? Is it the slot wide receiver? Is it the end man on the line of scrimmage? Is it the quarterback? Whatever you have them reading, they should be focused on their key. And the final thing is what's their zone? Where are they supposed to be? Are they supposed to be in a deep third? Are they in the flat? Where is their zone once this ball is snapped? What are they responsible for? So proper alignment, read their key, where is my zone? And those are the three situations your guys are going to find themselves in. Those are the three things in each one of those situations they should be thinking about. As your guys progress, they get a little smarter, they get a little more experience, you can start eliminating at least one of those things out of the checklist. So, for instance, in press, um, a guy should know his leverage. From the moment uh, a, you know, a defense is called, they should know. They don't have to think about that anymore. It's cover one, I'm playing outside leverage unless there's a super wide split. We're playing two man, I'm inside. I'm hard inside. If we're playing cover zero, I'm inside. They shouldn't have to think about that anymore, so now they could just take their focus to depth and eyes. They'll move even faster if that's all they've got to think about. What's my depth? Get my proper depth, and then where are my eyes? And that's going to be the same for the other three situations. As they get more experience, there'll be one thing um, that they need to you know, they can take off of that list, and now um, it's just two things on the checklist, and they'll move that much faster. And you should look forward to getting them in that situation. All right, Joe, so hope I answered that for you. Uh, for the rest of you guys that got out there, if you have a question that you want answered, send me uh, an email to cwilson at alleyesdbcamp.com, cwilson at alleyesdbcamp.com, and I'll answer your question, and who knows? I may use it on the next Indie Drills podcast. There's also a voicemail feature. If you're listening to this on Anchor or Spotify for podcasters, or you can send a message to the show through the app if you happen to be listening that way. I will find it. All right, let's move into our main topic here. We are full on into the season. And so, you know, practice is a big part of what we're doing. We're no longer just running out and training and doing uh, these things. Our actual live games going on. We need to be able to get good practices in so we can perform and play well and win games on Friday night, Saturday night, or Sunday, whatever level you play and uh, you're listening to this show. So this would seem to be a really good topic to hit up here. 
And um, I just want to give guys some tips on being able to have winning practices. I'm talking about just the DBs I'm talking about, individually as DBs. This is not a unit. Um, this is not me talking to a coach, although coaches listen to this and you can help your players individually with this, but I'm talking to the individual players. Uh, we know that practice makes perfect, as they say. Um, this could also mean that practicing wrong can make you perfectly wrong when the game time comes, and we don't want that. So, you know, the five things I think you can do in practice that's going to affect you in a positive way and get you closer to perfection on game day. And starting off with number one is bring energy. That's probably the hardest part because you don't always feel like practicing. You know, you may not have gotten enough sleep. You had to stay up late for a test. You've been in school all day or you just, you know, don't feel like practicing. That happens sometimes. But Regardless of how you feel, you are going to have to practice, so you might as well make it a point of doing it with energy. There's no way around that. you got to practice. The 24 hours in a day in practice is only two hours of it. If you can't get hyped and focused for two hours, then I don't know how successful you're going to be anyway. So talk to yourself in the locker room as you get dressed. Don't listen to teammates that are saying they don't feel like practicing. Move yourself away from that. Joining into those conversations usually sap your energy and put you in a bad mind frame. You might want to, if you're a team leader, also encourage guys to bring energy to practice and um, say it and then also lead. Be the one doing it. And you'll see positive results just by bringing better energy. The second thing is set goals. Most guys set goals for the season or maybe even just for the game. I mean, that's a big long-term goal, which is cool to do. But studies show that the best way to achieve long-term goals is to set up short-term goals to keep you on course. And by setting goals for each practice, you give yourself something to reach for. Reaching for something keeps you focused and engaged and may even energize you. This will undoubtedly lead to better practices. Better practices lead to better games, and that will certainly help you achieve your season-long goals. So spend about 5 to 10 minutes out of your day to set goals for that day's practice Say to yourself stuff like, yeah, I want one interception today, or I want zero coverage bus, or I want to touch the ball carrier on every play in the team period. Those are just examples, but imagine wanting to be able to look back at the end of practice and say you accomplished most of all of those. Make practice goals. Write them down so you can go back and actually look at them. Don't just say it. Write it down. Okay? That's a big part of it, too. Write it down. You want me to say it again? Write it down. Third thing, take mental reps. This is something I get on a lot of guys on. They like to check out when they're not actually in practice, in a drill, or in a period. This is where a lot of guys fall short. The only time, you know, guys really pay attention and they're engaged and focused uh, when, they're, when they're actually into the, in practice, moving. Some of the best learning you're going to do in practice is from watching others and listening to the coaches. Some guys are really good at certain drills. They're better than you at it. Watching them perform while you're waiting for your turn can help you to learn what you need to do to improve. Other times, their players doing things wrong, watching them and then listening to the coach correct them will prevent you from making the same mistakes when it's your turn. And you don't want to waste your reps when it's your turn. So learn from the other guys, especially if it's, if it's a guy you're competing with for a starting job. It really, I'm going to give you a little PS here. As a player, it really angers your coach to have to repeat himself to multiple players. And don't be the third or fourth guy doing a drill and you come up there and do it completely wrong because you, you know, had your head in the clouds. Learn while you wait by observing others. You're going to get five or six mental reps to every, you know, physical rep that you're going to take. Don't waste those. 
Number four is focus on detail. When it comes to playing DB, success comes from executing the little things. This position is about little things. Having your eyes in the right place, placing your hands in a specific spot on a wide receiver, or using your feet in a certain way can make the difference in you being an inch away from an interception or actually making the play that wins the game. So focusing on small details in every technique being taught or coverage being explained will eliminate all those inches that you will be short of come game time. The more you execute the details, the more efficient and faster you will be on game day, and we all want to be fast come game day. And finally, number five, and this is super important, put in the extra work. Stay after practice. The best way to master a skill is to repeat it over and over again. How do you think you learned how to tie your shoes or ride a bike? And I hope all of you out there know how to ride a bike. You guessed it. You did it by doing it over and over again. The same applies to your defensive back technique. Is there something you're struggling with constantly? Help yourself by staying after practice for 10 to 15 minutes each day to improve. If you're struggling with a technique and you leave practice and go home so you can struggle again the next day, man, I don't know about you being the best. And if it's a technique that's crucial to you playing in the kind of defense that your team is running, you better not get on that bus. You better not get in that car. You better not be heading out of practice right when it's over. Stay after so you can master it to the point of doing it without thinking or your eyes closed. Remember what I said about automating things? Fix it. Doing this after practice will make you better during practice, which in turn makes you lights out when the games come. And we're trying to do that, right? So what I'm saying here in closing is everyone wants the glory, but few guys want the pain. If you give it your all in practice, doing these five things that I've laid out for you here today, it'll make your practices 100% better. And there's no way you're going to be better in practice and just not be better in the game. Just doesn't add up that way. If you want the praise and the clout for being a baller on game day, then you're going to have to take the steps during the week to make that a reality. And so you got to give these things a try. And you know what? Send me an email. Let me know how it's working out. Or hit me up on Twitter, dbtips101. And again, email address cwilson at alleyesdbcamp.com. All right. I've held you guys up here for an hour. I hope you got a whole bunch out of this jam-packed Indie Drills podcast. Happy to be doing it with you. Happy to have a, a DB podcast out there. So appreciate all you guys listening. Again, before you leave, a couple of great resources for you. First of all um, is the 101 DB Tips book. If you're a DB out there, you should have this book in your hand. And you should, as I've, you know, I've been told this by a couple of guys. And I highly recommend this. Just read a, one tip a day. Whether it's the ebook or it's the soft cover book version, take that book out. Read a tip to, uh, one tip a day. Don't wait till you start getting in trouble in the season. And if you're already there, read two tips a day. But at least read one tip a day. So you have all that knowledge stored up. And once you get to the end and you've reached the 101st tip, start the book over again. Because not only do you need to know these things, you need to review them. That goes for coaches as well. If you've just started coaching or you've been coaching, some of this stuff in here you already know. Maybe a good portion of it you already know. But I've been coaching for, I coached for a while and sometimes you just need to be reminded you just need to see it 
on a daily basis and be reminded, that's going to make you that much of a better coach. So if you're a coach, if you're a trainer, if you're a player, you need to have this book. It's a nice investment. It's going to pay off, I promise you. So you can go to 101dbtips.com, order yours today, soft back version, soft cover version, or the ebook. And then finally, there's the All Eyes DB Camp, members area, uh, 200, over 200 videos, over 220 videos now um, with stuff on coverages, tips, technique, drills, everything you need in there. A lot of heart and soul been put into that. And I've had that members area for like five or six years now. So just compiling stuff, nice library there, um, and just everything that you need. So between the book, if you've got the book and you've got a membership to All Eyes DB Camp members area, there's no way you won't become a baller. There's no way you won't become a top DB coach wherever you're at. I'm Listen, I'm confident about that. Dead on confident about that. So reach out and get a couple of those things. And uh, on your way out, subscribe to the podcast. All right, that's it for me, guys. I'm out of here. Can't wait to see the action. NFL football tonight and uh, college football and NFL football this weekend. Can't wait to see how it goes down. Can't wait to see all the matchups on the island and all the interceptions that are going to happen on Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night. Can't wait for it. And uh, can't wait to get back and talk to you guys next week. All right. Thank you guys for listening. And as I always say, All Eyes DB Camp, consistency breeds results.